0: thought people keep telling me I'm going through uh, a midlife crisis but how could they know this? Do they have some kind of information that I don't? I mean nobody knows when they're going to die so how does anybody know when the uh, when their half-life is? Nobody knows when they're going to die. I guess you could you know, die by suicide, but that's cheating. You know, not even people on death row know when they're going to die. They know they're going to die someday, just like the rest of us. They could sit there for years in a jail cell. And uh, eventually, uh, the word comes down, Hey, all of your appeals have been exhausted. You're going to die six months from today. So the six months comes, the big day, they eat their final meal. They go down that green mile to the uh, to the chamber. And they sit in that chair, and then all of a sudden, right as the switch is about to be flipped, some kid comes in and says that the governor gave them a stay. At least until the further evidence is uh, considered thanks to the Innocence Project, right? I mean, they don't know when they're going to die. There's always that that possibility that they will be saved at the last second, right? So, yeah, my, my, my point is is that uh, how can you have a midlife crisis when you have no idea when your life's going to be over? I may be taking this too literally, but... Uh, I mean, you know, James Dean, he died at uh, 24... Are you telling me that uh, he had his midlife crisis at 12? Just like we all have supposed midlife crisis while, like people tell us, you know, James Dean, he started going out and buying like fancy sports cars that he couldn't afford when he was a kid at 12 years old. No, I don't think so. from Birmingham, Alabama. This is the Midnight Citizen Show. Thank you for stopping by. I'm your host, Mike Booty. It's been a very long time since I've been been here. Uh, in the studio, recording again. Been since March. Um... You know, a lot of uh, a lot of reasons for that, which I'm going to get into uh, tonight. But I, I just want to, like, touch on this idea of the midlife crisis because, you know, some of you out there are older than me. And you may be saying, like, hey, Mike, you're not that old. Well, you I, okay, you don't have all the information. I haven't told you how old I am. I'm going to be, you know, 40 uh, next month. I'm going to be turning 40. Which is the age that, um, they, they used to make movies about people who were 40, okay? Uh, and, and usually the plot of these movies is the, the guy who's 40 is, you know, seeing his life, uh, hit the, the, the best it's go ever going to be, right? And so his, like, friends conspired to, to, to get him a big vacation to, like, go on a cattle drive to, like rediscover life again or whatever you know uh find his smile you know it's like that's that's the age of 40 right as portrayed in 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 big hollywood
1: movies
0: (laughs) so yeah you you may be out there saying that you know mike you're 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 only 40 years old that's no big deal you know especially with the advances in modern medicine um the life expectancy when I was uh, a teenager was 76 years old, um, and uh, now it's much older, and it's it's rising every single day, right? But you know, you have to remember, I I don't have children, I but I am a teacher, and I'm I am constantly surrounded by much younger people uh, who are constantly reminding me that I'm old, uh, not just because they're young. Um, and they're, they're, they're constantly flaunting their youth in front of me, (laughs) but because, uh, they are, they, they don't have a filter and they will come right out and say that I'm old, you know, Mr. B you're old, you know, it's like, do you realize that I could have a son right now and you could be like a grandfather if I were your child, you know, okay, fine. Thank you (laughs) for that, (laughs) you know. Yeah, it's it's uh, it really is this thing that uh, younger people are constantly reminding older people that, you know, they're uh, that they're old and that they're going through a midlife crisis. Um, You know, but I don't know, like, what is the midlife crisis? What is this thing that we we often term uh, this thing where we're supposed to be dead someday And so at some point in our lives, we stop living like there's no tomorrow and start embracing the idea that we have to prepare for tomorrow, okay? For the eventuality that we are going to die. And uh, before we do that, right before we do that, we have what's called a midlife crisis, okay? Usually brought on by... By age, okay, and and forty is generally that idea, of you know where you're supposed to sort of be middle age. You cease being young, right, and you start being, I don't know, not yet over the hill, but somewhere in the middle there, between forty and fifty, right? Okay. You know, you you start thinking what it's like all about. You know, you go through this like crisis of of conscience of. Uh, of existence and you start like reevaluating all the relationships you've had in your life start thinking about all the bad decisions you've made in your life you know and you try to go out there and just um i don't know reignite the fire right okay and you do this by thinking about all the things that you've done in your life you know what is it all about I mean, I don't know if I'm having a midlife crisis because of that, because I've been spending my whole life thinking about what it's all about. <laughs> you know, like from the moment I could really think, I was like, "This is weird." Um, you know, what are we doing here? Why am I have to? Why do I have to go to this place and like learn arithmetic and all that? You know, I've always done that, so that's no different to me, right? Um, another thing that is usually the uh, hallmark of a midlife crisis is uh, buying things, and not just things, but like, um, you might call them toys, I don't know, frivolous items, okay, that you always wanted when you were young, um, but could never afford. Now you're in middle age, and you, you know, can afford them. Again, I dispel this idea because uh, that I'm having a midlife crisis personally, because I've never been able to afford anything that I've wanted, really. (laughs) <laughs> I buy things. I buy things that I need, but you know th- this this came under uh, suspect recently uh, because I went out and um, and, and bought a motorcycle. Uh, I bought a motorcycle. I had never ridden a motorcycle before. Uh, you know, for good reason because they're dangerous machines, right? But secretly, deep down, and I had never told anybody this before, I wanted a motorcycle. I've always wanted a motorcycle, right? Just, um, but I never could afford them. Um, at least I never thought I could afford them. And I always thought they were dangerous, just like everybody else, but, you know, there's good sides to a motorcycle, right? So I went out and bought one of these things, and uh, I bought it back in uh, March or April, just after the time I did my last podcast. And uh, I started writing it to my job, which is, I'm a teacher, so I I wrote it to school. And so all my students kind of saw me writing into the school and taking my helmet off and kind of walking down the halls, and this uh, near 40-year-old guy with this motorcycle helmet (laughs) walking in, and uh, I was talking to my students one day. Uh, about it, and uh, I suddenly heard one of them, uh, under her breath, go like, <coughs> midlife crisis. <laughs> and I looked at her, and, uh, you know, th- this again, this is like young people are constantly reminding you that you're having a midlife crisis, and so I had to tell her, no, this is not a midlife crisis. I've always wanted a motorcycle. I could afford a motorcycle for once in my life, and there's a lot of really good things about having one. You know, you, uh, you save on gas. You, um, you know, I could get 125 miles to the gallon in my motorcycle if I wanted. Um, you know, they, they're um, very easy. You don't have to park them You can uh, on the street. You can park them, um, you know, on the sidewalk. They're really good for zipping around in, uh, around town, just doing quick errands. And they said, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, another uh, stigma of midlife crisis is rationalizations. You know, every bonehead decision that you start to make, you start rationalizing it. Like telling yourself that, oh, the motorcycle, it'll be good for, uh, it'll be good for the environment. <laughs> because it gets really good gas mileage. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm not having a midlife crisis, you know? No. Um, I, I don't believe, I, I don't, I don't think I believe in them. I really don't. Um, you know, not to say that I am definitely going through one of the major stigmas right now of a midlife crisis, which is I'm going through a major, uh, life decision. Uh, I am changing jobs and that's happening, um, you know, when you change jobs, especially when you are my age, you know, when a lot of people I graduated high school with have been in a career now for, you know, more than a decade, um, and they're doing fine. Um, But very often changing jobs is a sign of like, you know, right there at the middle of your life, uh, you're nervous about the possibility that maybe you're going to be trapped in some kind of a career forever, you know, until you retire, or until you die. Um, and that's certainly like uh, something that I am afraid of, right? So I do have this tendency to, uh, to change jobs quite frequently in my life. And um, so, yeah, sure, for maybe that reason, I'm going through some kind of a crisis. I don't know. But I, I think that life is always about moving forward, and I'm not changing jobs right now on a whim. I want to be very clear about that. So, you know, so if if you're if you're not aware, if you didn't uh, haven't listened to my last few shows, uh, I am uh, leaving the job that I have uh, proudly held for the last five years. Um, Of teaching high school students, uh, English language arts, you know, reading, writing, grammar, uh, all that stuff, college prep, um, film, taught a film class, right? And it's been great. Five of the most rewarding years of my life. And uh, so, like, why am I leaving that job? Well, because, um, again, you know, this is not the sign of me having a crisis, right? When I got into my job five years ago, this was my plan was that I would uh, get five years of high school education under my belt. Like, I wanted to have the experience of teaching high school uh, after getting my master's in education, right? Um, I wanted to have that experience. But my true passion is for the content area itself. You know, a lot of uh, teachers, and there's nothing wrong with this at all, this is perfectly fine, a lot of teachers get into education because their passion is education. And certainly my passion is education too, but a lot of teachers do not get into education because of a love, uh, a genuine love of their content area, of what they actually teach. And that is uh, what I want to do. Uh, my, my biggest, uh, the reason I really got into education is to be a professional student of uh, English literature. Okay, and that's what I want to do. And in the last five years, I've, while teaching high school, I've been enrolling in graduate classes to get my uh, masters in English in English, right, English literature. And uh, this past year, I've been accepted uh, as a teaching assistant uh, to the university here in town to uh, begin going and taking classes there full time. With them paying for my tuition, and in return, I teach uh, some classes uh, at UAB while I'm while I'm going there. And uh, this is, uh, you know, this is a big deal to me because uh, five years ago I set this goal, and now I have hit it. So I've got five years of teaching high school under my belt. Um, and again, you know, this is uh, maybe a little strange for somebody my age, right? Um, you know, a sign of the times was is that I'm going to the same university to get my master's degree as I did when I first enrolled in college as a freshman, you know, 20 years ago. And uh, I, ca- I had to call uh, IT this week at the university uh, because my email address was still the same juvenile email address as it was when I was, when I said it at freshman orientation back in 2001, (laughs) you know, and I called IT and I'm like, listen, I'm going to, I'm an adult now. I'm a graduate student. I'm going to have students that I'm going to teach. They cannot be getting emails from this address. And uh, IT said, sorry, man, it's permanently linked. You can't do it. You can't change it. And uh, I said, are you kidding me? This, this is I'm not the only person who suffers from this, you know, who, who set an email address a long time ago, probably before you were born. <laughs> and, uh, you know, email addresses had only been around for like five or six years when I first set that thing. You know, I mean, we didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be a graduate student 22 years from now, 40 years old. Uh, and, and the guy's like, trust me, man, I've seen far worse than this, far worse than this. (laughs) So, but yeah, that, that just, uh, right there was a, uh, was a sign of the times of just, uh, how strange it is that I'm 40 years old and I'm going back to graduate school and I'm, most of the people that I'm going to be there with are probably going to be much younger than I am. Um, but You know, the point is, is that I am a person that believes strongly in the idea that you should uh, never settle down for a a career. I think you should constantly be sort of like going and learning new things at different jobs all throughout your life. Okay. Now, I mean, I will say that uh, eventually someday I will probably land in a career where I'm very comfortable and happy, right? But everything that I've been doing for the last 10 years has been building up to what I'm doing now, and this in turn, going to graduate school, is building up to what I'm going to do next, which is hopefully teaching college and possibly getting a PhD, I don't know. I mean, I I could be one of those people that's in college all their lives. And I, you know, I don't, I think that's okay. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, this is, um, this is important to consider. I mean... I sort of said it as a joke earlier, but it is absolutely true that with advances in modern medicine, uh, the first person who is going to live to, like, say, 130 may very well be alive right now. I don't think it's me because of my bad habits, my vices. Uh, I've never really taken that great of care of myself. Excuse me while I drink a cup of coffee at 11 o'clock at night. That's good, <laughs> but we have to start rethinking the way that we uh, that we do work, because as we get older, we're go- we're not going to be retiring the way that we used to, the way that we uh, my my mom and dad did it, you know, in their early seventies. Um, we're not. I mean, not to say that we're going to be working into our 90s, but I think what's going to happen is, is that we're going to, for those of you who have a career that you've worked for 35, 40 years or so, you're going to retire. And then, because now you're going to be living to 130, you can't very well spend, you know, 60 years doing nothing on retirement, I don't think the world uh, will support that because more people are going to be born and they're going to be basically paying you to do nothing. Which is, I mean, you know, that's what you want to do. That's fine. But what what is going to be the new normal is people are going to get out of this one career and they're going to find something else that they want to do, some other kind of career, and they're going to go to college for that. So you're going to start seeing, you know, 60, 70, 80 year old freshmen, I think quite frequently, you know, at all the uh, sorority mixers and, you know, things like that. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's very possible it's going to happen, right? In our lifetime. And so, uh, I think, uh, I think I, I've never been ahead of my time, but I think I may be very well ahead of my time in this. In being a 40-year-old college student. Two of the seniors that I taught this year are going to be my classmates at UAB. (laughs) So, yeah. In that regard, I I do not think that I am... uh, I don't think I'm having a midlife crisis. If anything else, um, I'm having a quarter life crisis. former colleagues started uh started school this week um the kids come back next week and so bizarre because um i wasn't there with them for the first time in half a decade uh i was at home (laughs) actually i was over at my mom's house helping her i'll tell you that but this is the uh, the end of the summer now and this is typically a very depressing time usually for me. I mean I'm excited about the prospect of going back to work about going back and seeing the students and how much um, puberty has changed them for better or worse uh, but it is kind of sad because I, I do I do love summer. And as an adult, you very often forget about what summer is truly like. Um, It's even worse if you don't have kids. Um, You know, you just kind of. At my old job, you know, I worked twelve months out of the year, and every job that I've had before that, twelve months out of the year. Uh, When I when I started teaching, I suddenly got a summer again, and it was really a weird experience. Um, you know, to wake up on that first day of summer after school's out and it's like nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you're just there, um, in the house and you don't have to get up and you don't have to hop in the shower immediately. You don't have to like, uh, make your lunch. You can, you can just chill out. Um, it really was that first summer, uh, that I was a teacher, um, it was like this nostalgia that I can't describe. Um, I'll try to, but I don't know if I can do it justice. It's like when you're a kid, you know, and just like there are those certain sounds of summer, you know, like The Price is Right on the television. <laughs> uh, you know, Matlock coming on in the middle of the day, The People's Court. Uh, all those shows, you know, still come on television you just you thought that they went away right the second that uh you know you went um you went back to school in august but no they they're they're still there i mean i watched an episode of the price is right that first summer i hadn't watched that show since i was you know 17 years old <laughs> but uh yeah no i mean just like this time of year you know the end of summer going into you know, Target and seeing the back-to-school sales, you know, just everything's back to school. It's 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 depressing because, like, that is over. And for the next nine months, you know, you have to wake up at a certain time every day and, you know, go to school. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's weird because I, I don't start going back to school for another, you know, three weeks. So I'm just you know, off, but this is, I mean, I, I would normally be a little sad this time of year, probably stop doing podcast and probably start just like spending all of my day doing lesson plans. But, you know, I'm not doing that. And uh, I, I have to admit, you know, I don't really have that feeling, uh, that, uh, that, you know, that, I don't know. I'm getting back to work. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I told you I can't describe it. <laughs> yeah, like my first summer, you know, it was one of those things where it's like you hadn't had a summer in so long that you just feel like you have all the time in the world. It's just like, you know, when you're a kid, you feel like you have all the time in the world. That, that first summer I was a teacher, you know, the day after... The last day of school, I was in my car and I took a 10-hour road trip to Virginia by myself. And I went camping for like four days in Shenandoah National Park. And all I could think of that the whole time was like, it's going to be so great to be able to go back home and uh, chill out and and take a shower because there aren't that many showers at that park. (laughs) And just lay down on the sofa and not have to get up the next day and go to work, right? So, indeed, I came home from Shenandoah, and I maybe had like a day or so where I, you know, got to lounge around and do nothing. But it was at that moment that I kind of discovered the harsh reality of being a teacher, (laughs) is that when you have your summers off, um, they're not off at all. Like, I mean, as a a teacher, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. (laughs) First off, everybody knows that... You have all the time in the world in your hands, so they start asking you for favors left and right. right. You know, you have to help people move, um, things like that. Um, you know, you, you, you supplement your income. You know, teachers don't make that much, so you try to find other ways to make money. That's a good time to do that, you know, to kind of get ahead on certain things. Um, and you know, you, you also teach, you teach summer camps. Once the summer camps kick in, um, you know, it's like just teach, 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 you know? And then basically you get like a week when all of that's done. And then it's back to, uh, back to the grind, back to school. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was telling my mom this yesterday because my mom, uh, asked me to come over and help her move some things. And before I knew it, we were buried in her uh, in the storage unit, moving everything. There was this table she wanted to get at the back of the storage unit. So of course we had to move everything out of there. and I was just kind of talking to her. Uh, and she seemed very apologetic, and I was like, no, you're my mom. you gave me everything, you know, and you know she she's and I was talking to her because my mom is a former teacher as well. Um, she's been retired now for about a decade or so. And um, I told my mom, you know, it's like, you know, did, when you were a teacher, did this happen to you every summer? You People knew you were off, and they just all assumed you were ready to do things for them. And my mom said, yeah, and I got some bad news for you. You know, it's the same exact thing. It's the same exact thing in retirement. You know? And, uh, yeah, she's, she's got a point there. you know ever since she's retired she's done nothing but like take care of grandchildren and (laughs) all that i mean she loves it but uh you know still people just you know she's free so what else is she gonna do right of course i'm not really worried about that too much because uh my generation's not expected to retire. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's too bad out there. We're just going to keep working and working. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but this has been a nonstop summer. It started with, um, well, I got COVID, which was no fun. Uh, I survived somehow uh, two years of working with teenagers every single day. And being around all these other people, I didn't get COVID. And the very first day of the summer, I'm, I'm serious, like less than 12 hours after the final bell rang, I got, I got tested for COVID and I got it. So I spent the first week uh, of the summer in bed, uh, recuperating. And then I went straight into teaching summer camps for three weeks, teaching one in the morning and one in the afternoon, you know, and... Uh, and then I went on vacation, which I know, oh, woe is me, poor, poor, pitiful me that I went on vacation. But it was still, you know, a lot of work. We went to Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, yeah, and then I came back and uh, I helped um, my uh, a friend of mine, uh, my old, uh, who was the head of my old sketch comedy group, Happy Nowhere. We we put on a show, a reunion show. It was the first time we were all on stage together in... Uh, 20 years my god yeah 20 years and um we put on a show you know and just like in in two weeks or so of rehearsals um you know put on a show and that took a that was a lot of fun but it took a lot of time and there was very little relaxing there you know and so then finally after that here I am now at the end of summer I'm actually relaxing a little bit, finally able to sit down and do a show, right? I mean, I, I will not lie at all, it's it's nice to not have to go right back to school, back to teaching especially. Um, you know, again, my mom was very apologetic yesterday, she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm taking away from your from your downtime, I know you're about to be very busy in a few weeks with school, and I said, Mom, it's okay. You know, if I was still teaching, I'd be in professional development right now doing active shooter drills. It's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I I, I will m- miss teaching. I mean, obviously, it has, like, a lot of downsides to it, and there's a lot of stuff that... Um, There's a lot of stuff about teaching that wasn't unpleasant that was unpleasant. I'm going to take that with me for a very long time, right? Like I mean I because I spent the last five years in a small classroom with uh, teenagers, you know, I will forever know the plot of every single Marvel film. Um, I can't say the number 69 without giggling. <laughs> That's unpleasant. I'm gonna have to deprogram myself, but that being said, I will very, very miss, very much miss teaching uh, high school students. Um, It was a great five years, but I'm looking forward to something. uh, What's coming next? I can't wait. Let's see. so we're gonna uh yeah we'll take a break for a minute listen to some music for the free music archive and i will be back this is mike booty the host of the midnight citizen show
2: A zealot, a bigot and a fool Walk into a bar and sit on a stool Everybody knows there'll be trouble soon The boys are back at the Star Wars Saloon The patriot whispers, give me a shot The zealot cries, your God is not The bigot screams, I am right, you're wrong. The fool says, can't we all just get along? All just get along. The bartender looks a little annoyed, tells Dion and the boys to play Pink Floyd. They rock that tune, dark side of the moon. It's happy hour at the Star Wars saloon. The patriot sings his national anthem. We are us, and they are them. The zealot quotes from his holy book. They are bad, and we are good. The bigot recites
1: his manifesto.
2: We are better than other people. Who cheers for his hometown team, and nobody agrees on one damn thing, yeah, maybe one day, maybe someday soon, we'll find a friend at the Star Wars alone. Another country, creed, and color, love each other like sister and brother. Maybe one day, maybe someday soon We'll all hang out at the Star Wars Saloon Maybe one day, maybe someday soon We'll all hang out at the Star Wars Saloon
0: I just saw, you may have seen this, but uh, Alex Jones, right, that conspiracy theorist, just been ordered to pay $4 million for repeatedly uh, telling people that Sandy Hook was not real. You know, that uh, school shooting from like 12 years ago. Yeah, it's like been something he's been just talking about nonstop, apparently. I don't watch the show, but uh, just telling people that Sandy Hook didn't happen, that it was like a false flag thing or whatever. I don't know. And he had to sit in a courtroom in front of all these parents of kids who uh, had been killed by some lunatic. Not only did he have to pay them $4 million, but he also, for the very first time, had to admit under oath that Sandy Hook did indeed happen. You know? Can you believe that? It's like he had to come out and essentially say that, uh, uh, it, uh, judge, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was entertainment. Sandy Hook really did happen. Wink. Um, you know, uh, that madman really did walk into a gun and with a, into that school with a gun and shoot them. Wink. Mr. Jones, why do you keep winking? Well, I got some pulp in my eye. Pulp, you know. <laughs> I had a grapefruit this morning. Pulp shot into my eye, right? But anyway, Sandy Hook really did happen. Wink, wink. <laughs> I mean, if you've been listening to Alex Jones for the last 12 years, repeatedly say that this thing that obviously happened did not happen, um, you're you're going to look at like a courtroom mandated confession that it did that, that you know that it did happen, and you're just going to be like, oh, he was coerced. Right? So I don't think that really did anything. But I am glad that the uh, family's got four million dollars. Still sad. It's not going to bring their kids back. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, music break there. Sorry to kind of bring down the tone a little bit by making fun of that f- fat, friggin', I don't know, Alex Jones. So yeah, you had. Um, John Lopker was the artist the first song Star Wars Saloon from his album Spaceship Earth followed by Delay 77 with a song called 25 both of those uh, songs and albums are on uh, Free Music Archive courtesy of WFMU freemusicarchive.org you can listen to them you can play them on your show just as long as you attribute them which I just did so anyway I uh, hope you are uh, enjoying the show. If you are liking the show, please uh, consider checking out slash uh, the Midnight Citizen, where you can find this episode as well as a backlog of shows that I have done going back to 2011. You'll find them there. You can also find me and uh, other great shows on OnSug. Dot com. That's the Overnightscape Underground, OnSug, O-N-S-U-G.com. You can find me there. And yes, and I want to, by the way, thank uh, this week uh, Eric at the Cigar Store. Eric discovered my podcast a few weeks ago uh, and uh, encouraged me to do another one. So this is uh, because of you, Eric. Thank you very, very much for encouraging me. This has been a lot of fun. And it continues to be fun. Let's See what else we got. <laughs> yeah, this um, process of changing jobs has been—it's been pretty smooth. Um, you know, there wasn't like a an assault on the Capitol or something like that, like uh, that other famous changing of jobs we had last year. Uh, it's been pretty easy. Uh, the Difficult thing about um, this particular instance of me changing jobs is the fact that I'm going from having a job with a salary and benefits to having a job with um, with a stipend and no benefits. I get a stipend as a graduate student every month, Uh, nowhere close to the salary I was making at my old school. Which being a teacher, that's saying a lot, but you're not expected to make that much, and I understand that. Uh, but I will say the benefits, though, you know, the, the I think people uh, undervalue benefits uh, quite a lot at their jobs. You know, b- bennies, as they're called in slang circles, right? Um, you get a salary, you know, like a certain set amount of money that you make every year, and then you get um, nice benefits. And that is the one good thing about being a teacher is that teachers actually typically get pretty good benefits if they work for a public high school or a public school at all um you know they get incredible health insurance through the state um private schools are a little bit different but um i had exceptional health insurance for me and my wife the last few years and this is one of the things that really gave me pause uh not necessarily the, the letting go of the salary, but letting go of the benefits is something that almost made me make the decision to stay in my job and, you know, hold off graduate school for maybe another year or two. Um, I, I am glad I didn't do that. Um, I, I am sad that there are so many people out there who stay in jobs that... Um, they're not necessarily satisfied with, or holding them back from doing other things, because they don't want to give up the benefits. That makes me sad, right? Because uh, certain benefits, you know, like a health insurance, are just a simple right that we should be guaranteed for, uh, you know, living in a developed country like the United States. And and, and I'm not going to go on a rant about this because. You know, I'm not Dennis Miller, and this has been talked about to death over the last few years, right? Um, but I will say, you know, Barack Obama, uh, the president of the United States before Donald Trump, um, you know, one of his big, I don't know, depending on where you are on the issue, you know, achievements or disappointments, uh, was passing the Affordable Health Care Act, which guaranteed that every American could have affordable health insurance, and it's never mattered that much to me, really, because I've always had health insurance through my jobs, Um, but this is the first time that I've actually had to shop for health insurance on the open marketplace, on uh, healthcare.gov, right, and it was shocking. For the very first time ever, I saw how truly expensive health insurance really is in this country. And uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like what I saw at all, all right? But what happens is, is that through the open marketplace, you have to go on and answer some questions, essentially, how poor are you? And they'll hook you up with a government tax credit. Now, there may be some people who are listening to this, right, that are, you know, hearing me compliment it for giving me a very high tax credit, okay? And being like, oh man, you're going you're going to school, you're not doing anything, you're not contributing to society. And I'm paying for your health insurance. Okay. Well first off, hold off on the rhetoric and the hyperbole, right? Because the thing about it is I have spent the last twenty years in the workforce paying for health insurance. Okay? Um, And I'm paying for it now. And the money that I'm paying in taxes every year will support people getting health insurance, right? So as it stands, I'm actually a huge... I've never been on one side or the other of the issue before because it's never really directly affected me. Now, I have opinions about a lot of issues that do not really affect me. But health insurance is one of those things that I guess I kind of have always taken for granted until this past week when I was forced to buy health insurance for me and my wife. And because we got a very good tax credit, I'm basically going to be paying the same exact amount for health insurance as I was when I had a job. And so I kind of made a leap of, leap of faith and, and took this new position without even thinking about how much the health insurance was going to cost because I knew that if I saw how much it was going to cost, it was going to basically force my hand and force me to keep the job that I currently had, okay? So I've been procrastinating all summer long on buying health insurance because I've been terrified of the cost. Um, But it turned out to not be that bad, really. Really? When you go on and answer a few questions, you know, how poor are you? And uh, they give you a tax credit and they automatically apply that to the cost. And the cost for us is surprisingly not that bad. Um, and so I would say if you're out there and you're not, you're thinking of leaving your job and you're not quite sure about the benefits of what happens when you're going to lose those, you know, Right um do yourself a favor and just look it may not be bad as bad as you think right again I know there's some people that's gonna be they're gonna be like it is bad it's bad for me the taxpayer Here's my retirement savings. Just go and get all the health insurance you want. Get all the degrees you want. Other, you know, like less painful aspects of switching jobs, right? Changing emails. I don't know if you've left a job before, but you know, they, they kind of get rid of like every shred of evidence that you were ever an employee, right? They get rid of your email. They, they scrap your, your Google drive and all that stuff. So I've been working pretty furiously this summer to make sure that uh, every bit of intellectual property that I have, um, I have a, Right, it's transferred over to my personal Google Drive. I just kicked my camera, sorry. <laughs> I am uh, recording tonight's show, by the way, so you can watch me over at youtube.com slash Mike Booty. You yeah, know, this part of the show is kind of shaky because I'm fixing my camera. Uh, that's better. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I went on to uh, to my Google Drive and just got everything off of there. that was a huge process. I mean, that's five years of uh, lesson plans and slideshows and assessments, tests, things I know I'm going to need someday. Um, Just going on there and just being terrified that I'm not going to get something. So I just brought it all with me, right? And just any moment now, I'm expecting them to just like wipe my account. They haven't done it yet. And I emailed them the other day. I said, can you please give me some notice? And they said, we will try. (laughs) This sounds like I left my job on a bad note. I didn't. I'm still very good. <laughs> I'm very good terms with them. But uh, you know, my mom said that the, the the day after she retired, her school just immediately wiped everything from their from their system. So she no longer had an email, no no files, anything. She she had to basically take them all with her. Uh, so you know. Mm. Yeah, but I, I was going through a lot of um, a lot of my Google Drive and um, found a lot of stuff that I had completely forgotten about, as you often do when you go through your digital archives. Um, one thing that I found, um, I found a whole list of recordings that I had done at the very beginning of COVID um, in March of 2020. And... Um, when I was first teaching from home, that was, that was wild, you know, just to kind of look back at that. And, um, you know, you, you always have these moments, right? Right before you do something, um, big where you're full of excitement and longing. You have no idea what the future is going to hold. This is usually what happens when you change your, when you change jobs, you know, you get a new job, you know, in early in life, it's basically like the first day of school, Right. I can't wait for the first day of school. Who's going to be in my classes? I can't wait to use all my supplies and <laughs> things like that. Get my locker. Who's going to be my locker mate or who's going to be next to me, right? You know, all these uh, factors, all these unknown variables. It's like that when you start a job. I was looking at, this, uh, at these early videos that I had where I was teaching my students right here in this, in this room right now where I'm doing this show in my home office, and we were all so positive back then and so having so much fun oh covid's going to blow over isn't this great that we get to work from home right are you wearing pants right <laughs> um yeah it, it just was it, it was like this weird thing where you know you just get get to see yourself and you kind of cringe I cringed just looking at some of these old videos because it's like, it's just so bright eyed and bushy tailed about the future. Right. Just So excited about what it's going to bring. And then, and then now you're looking back at the past and you're like, Oh my gosh, I was so naive about that. You know, what was supposed to be like a week and a half of working from home turned out to be like six months, much longer for a lot of you. Um, and then when we got to go back to school, it was just nothing but wearing masks and uh, just, oh, my God. I hate COVID, right? And it's kind of like that with my job, too. It's like I look back on the last five years of my job and think back to when I was, you know, the 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 day before I started, right? Where I was just so excited. I was, I was like at school until like midnight the night before the first day of school. And just in there, like making sure all the desks were just so, everything was so clean, right? I wrote a big message to my students, you know, welcome students, right? All the wood was dusted. It was just such a perfect moment that I just wanted to capture, right? And uh, just capture in my memory. Um, I was so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed about the future. And now I'm looking back at the past and, yeah, there were a lot of great moments and a lot of great moments that warranted that excitement that I had. But there was a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, like I did personally wrong as a teacher. Times I may have lost my temper, um, you know, times I may have just like regretted the way that I taught something or whatever. But, you know, I don't know. That's the thing. It's like every single time I start something and we all start something, right? We, we have to have like a, some cautious optimism. Okay, it's totally okay to be excited about the future, but just know that you're going to mess up. It's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. But uh, don't let that uh, don't let that rain on your party. You know. I don't know. Maybe that's one of the 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 things that keeps me reinventing my life every ten years. changing jobs, just never settling downs. Cause I just love that excitement of not knowing, of being cautiously optimistic of, you know, just what's, what's in store for me, you know, new people I work with, you know, a new desk that I sit at, you know, just, just all, you know, I just, I love that feeling of newness and, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just, Wondering right now if like going into this job, I know one one kind of cool thing about going into graduate school is that I know that this is not going to be a job I'm going to be in forever. I'm not going to be in graduate school forever. This is something that is supposed to lead to something else. And I, you know, if I if I gave you the wrong impression earlier, I apologize. The wrong impression that um, you know, I never want to be tied down to any job. You know, that's not necessarily true. I just I want to get into a job knowing that it's going to lead to something else, right? And um, I want to make those goals clear to employers. If an employer ever asks me in an interview, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, And, uh, you know, I I have to answer honestly. I'm I'm going to answer them. Like, if I legitimately see myself working for that company, I'm going to tell them. But normally, I would not tell them that. But I've never been asked that question before. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? I don't know. I kind of lied and told all my seniors this year in the career prep that, uh, that that's a question they're always going to get asked, but uh, I, I've never been asked it personally. <laughs> ready. I'm ready to go, man. My eyes are bright. My tail is bushy. <laughs> let's make it happen. That being said, let's go down to that <clears throat> wonderful place down on the corner, the Video Street Video Store to check out their latest stock. I'll be back here in a minute. Enjoy it.
2: Predicament. Get out of there and fall. A pawn in the war to control the human mind. There's something as sure as hell is in my head, and I want it out. You have precisely two hours to get wise and solve the mystery that can save your life. You're playing Burn Cycle, the CD-ROM action adventure game for Macintosh and PC Windows. You experience mind expanding extended gameplay. You navigate fantastic 3D worlds. Where all the critical decisions are yours. This is what you call a lose-lose situation. You better tell me to set me up. The end game is a shocking conclusion.
1: Run, come on faster.
3: Use your brain or lose your mind.
2: Burn Cycle, the CD-ROM action adventure game. On sale in software stores now. the future. Information is currency. Data theft is a capital crime. Saul Cutter is a data thief. Cutter getting some heavy buzz on the net man. Something's up with the data I'm curing. Can you tell me anything about it?
1: Just
4: get out
2: of there and fast. The rewards are high. No touching, stroking, or fondling. Should have been a routine run, and now it seems like the whole world's on my tail. One false move, and I'll blow your head clean off your shoulders. So are the risks. Then fix it. Go brave. This is what you call a lose lose situation. What have you got that they want? I could ask you the same question. But this time. He's stolen more than he bargained for. Something as sure as hell is in my head, and I want it out. The memories
3: that you are made up of are literally being erased. Now, he's
2: got something on his mind. Imagine a piece of software that can duplicate a human mind and store it on a computer. Protect the balance of world power in favor of whoever has it. And in two hours, it's going to kill him. Stink it dead. people just seem to start dying? Don't think you a corner of the market range. Can't stop this game. It's a bitch. From Philips Media comes the ultimate interactive movie game. Burn, cycle. Once it's in your head, it can't be stopped. Thank you.
3: Keith Croft, along with Bobby Payne, bringing you the best of Game Crazy at the Game Crazy Selling Skills Challenge. That's where talent, skills, knowledge, and great value come together to create the ultimate game's destination. That's right, Keith. We're going to see some fierce competition out there today. They're going to have to give it all they got to be
5: successful out there. Because today's game isn't about scoring points, getting kills, or saving the universe from alien domination. No, Keith, today's game is all about selling.
3: That's right, Bobby, but the kind of selling we're talking about isn't high pressure, some loud obnoxious pitch. At Game Crazy, selling's about identifying needs, building relationships, and maximizing the gaming experience for our guests.
5: And it's all done by focusing on five key selling areas. Hardware, used games, MVP, trades, and pre-orders. So let's go down to the game floor where Zelda Scott will take us through our keys to the game. Zelda. Zelda.
6: Thanks KC and BP. I'm down here in the his house, you know, the heezy, with the GC Posse to get the 411 on Game Crazy. Let's start with the hardware. This is like a gamer's ride, dog. And if you sell them the right ride, you got a better chance of selling some 20-inch chrome rims later. Know what I'm saying? The key here is to sell them the system that's right for them, so that they'll keep coming back for more accessories and games. And speaking of games, Game Crazy's got all the fly new game titles, but we've also got the mad hookup when it comes to used games. And they can't hate on our used games, because they play like new, come with a 90-day guarantee, and they cost less. Booyah! Now, for the real hardcore players, the ones that are crazy tight with the GC, we've got the MVP card. The MVP card means upfront revenue for Game Crazy and higher trade values, special discounts, and exclusive tournaments for the players. Trades are where Game Crazy makes crazy dollars and players can get mad values. It also means that Game Crazy's got the used game hookups on the latest games. And finally, pre orders. Now, this is for the real serious players. The ones who've got to get the new games first and beat them before anyone else. They can check out our Reserve Now board, check out our product slicks in the Reserve Now binder, put $5 down, and they've got a reservation at the hottest game spot in town, Game Crazy. Well, that's it from down on the floor, y'all. This is Zelda Scott, and those are the keys to the game. Peace out. Ah, uh, thanks.
3: Zelda. And now, let's get ready to rumble as we begin the Game Crazy sales challenge with hardware
1: sales.
5: Hi, welcome to Game Crazy. Hi. Hi, what system are you interested in
3: today?
4: Um. Well, it's my son's birthday and I'm looking for some video games, but I'm really not sure what he wants.
3: All right. What system does he play? Oh, and here he goes, asking the right questions. He's off to a good
4: start, Keith. System. You know what? That's what I need. I need a system and some video games. Um, sorry, I'm just all brand new to this. No, it's fine.
5: Basically, there's three platforms to pick from. You have an Xbox, a PlayStation 2, and a GameCube. But to figure out which one is right for you, I'm going to have to ask you a couple questions. So, how old is your son?
4: he's turning 12 and he's in middle school
5: okay what kind of games does he like
3: to play
4: his favorite is driving games
3: all right how about dvd movies the critical movie question ah the kids love the movies keith
4: he does have a tv and this will be in his room so you know that would be great
3: how about online play
4: um mm, you know i'm not so comfortable with that
5: well you know actually it's pretty safe and secure but i understand your concerns but he did a nice job of keeping things moving how about friends will you have friends
4: over Absolutely. He has two or three buddies that I know he'd have over.
5: Alright, so based on what you're telling me, I'd probably recommend a Sony PlayStation 2. It has some great racing titles. You can play up to four players at once. You can play DVD movies. And while it's the best online system, you can definitely tap into it later on down the line if you decide to go that route. Ah, uh, great suggestion.
4: What a lucky kid. Wow, sounds great. I think that's what I need.
5: Oh, it's a great choice. Uh, basically, what we're going to do is you it with some accessories a dvd remote, a wireless controller, and we're gonna have to get you some memory cards to get you started.
3: Perfect. Okay. And there's the ad. He's really selling the ultimate gaming experience, Keith. Let's go down to the floor with Zelda, who's standing by with Ryan.
6: Ry, dog, that was the bomb diggity, my friend. How'd you do it, dog?
5: Well, Zelda, actually, it was really simple. I just found out what she was looking for. I needed to know who was me playing the system, what kind of games her son was going to be playing, what she could afford, and then what kind of features she might want later on down the line. I suggested the right system with the right accessories, built trust and a relationship,
3: and after that it was easy.
6: Well, you certainly made it look that way, dog. There you have it. Back to you, Casey.
3: Oh, thank you, Zelda. And now, on to our next challenge. When high margins and great values come together, it's used games.
7: Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Game Crazy. What can I help you find? Do you
2: guys have that uh, new Madden 2004?
7: Madden fan, huh?
3: Madden, a very popular title. It certainly is, Keith.
7: Actually, yeah, I have it over here new, but you know what? I have it over there used for ten bucks less.
4: Yeah, I don't know about you. It sounds sketchy. It could be broken.
7: Well, no. You know, our used games play just as well as our new games, and they come with a 90-day guarantee, so if it doesn't play, you just bring it on back to me.
2: Yeah, I still don't know.
7: You know what? Why don't we go try it out? Really? Yeah, come with (laughs) me. So, what'd you think?
2: Looks good. I'm hooked on this used thing.
7: Sold! The demo always clinches it. Great. Well, if you like that, I've also got ESPN football used and NCAA football. Bring them on.
3: Zelda, what's her secret?
7: Hey, girlfriend. What's the dilly? Yo? Well, Zelda, used games are just a great value. When I told him about his savings and the 90-day guarantee, it just really got his interest. The demo was just to reassure him he was getting a quality product. That was a clincher.
6: Well, big ups to you, girl. That was off the heezy for sheezy. K, okay, money? Thank you you zelda
3: and now let's get back to the fundamentals with trades
7: okay so one new copy of ninja gaiden bet you're going to try to beat this today huh
3: I usually like to buy a game when it's brand new take it home and beat it I usually buy my stuff over at best buy but I figured I'd give you guys a try a possible big box convert could be keith could be
7: Oh, so you're new to game crazy. Do you know about our whole buy play tray thing?
3: No, what's that?
7: Well, it's really what we're all about. It sounds like you're the kind of guy who likes to beat a game as soon as you get it, so this is perfect for you. You could take all those games that you've already beaten, trade them in for credit for anything else that you want.
3: I mean, I can take the games I've got at home, bring them in, trade them in, and get new games for less? That's right. Well, I can't do that over at Best Buy. I'm definitely coming here to get all my games.
7: Great! Well, in that case, you're definitely going to need an MVP
6: card.
3: MVP? Did I hear that right? Zelda, what's going on down there?
6: You heard it right, k Dog. Gail is getting extremely jiggy with it by going for the MVP. Let's see what happens. So what's
3: the MVP card?
7: Well, the MVP card is our membership card, and it's made for hardcore gamers. It'll save you some serious cash.
3: How's that?
5: She's gonna have to do the math for them.
7: Well, you know the, all the old games that you have at home? Mm-hmm. You bring them in and with an MVP card, you get 10% more value for your trade-ins and then additional 10% off anything that you want to buy in the store that's used.
3: Okay, so how much is that gonna run me?
7: Well, the MVP card is, um, it's about 20 bucks.
3: Yeah. Uh, I don't know.
7: Well, look, you're a serious gamer, so you're already gonna spend a lot of cash here. And um, this way, as an MVP, you can buy more and play more.
3: Well, that makes sense, but, I mean, it's 20 bucks.
7: We also have special deals every month that are exclusive for MVP customers. And we have exclusive game tournaments only for MVPs.
3: What, uh, what kind of tournaments?
7: Actually, we have a Soul Calibur tournament coming up this weekend.
3: Soul Calibur? All right, you got me. She clinches it with the tournament. This
7: guy is psyched about game crazy.
3: Sign me up for the tournament and give me one of the MVP cards, too.
6: Great, you'll be glad you did.
3: Zelda, she really came up with a big play there.
6: You know it, KC. Give it up, G Unit. You showed some mad skills there, first with the trades and then the MVP. You go, girl. How'd you do it?
7: Well, Zelda, trades are a real eye-opener, especially for our new guests. I never miss the opportunity to tell our new guests about the trading. Once they realize how much farther their gaming dollars go, they never go back to the big box.
6: And that MVP, that was crunk.
7: Well, the MVP card, I mean, once the guy realized how quickly it would pay for itself, it was a no-brainer. The guy's a hardcore gamer, so, I mean, it just made sense for him. And the tournament, that put him over the top.
6: True dat girl. Home slices?
3: Truly spectacular, Zelda. Now let's see if Ryan can sell a value that can't be seen as we move on to the pre-order.
4: Hey,
5: welcome to Game Crazy. Hey, thanks. How's it going? Good. Right on. Uh, you're a Final Fantasy fan, I see. Buy your <laughs> shirt.
4: Yeah, that's right. You guys have the new one yet?
5: Well, oh, actually, doesn't come out for a couple weeks yet, but you can pre-order it.
4: No, nah, that's okay. I think I'll just come back later.
5: Look, you know how Final Fantasy is. You definitely, definitely want to do this because you know it's going to sell out.
4: You're right. Final Fantasy does sell out pretty quickly. I think I'll do that.
5: All right. It's just $5 down, and we guarantee you one the day it comes out.
4: Oh, I have to put money down?
5: Yeah, but it's only $5. Actually, you're Tara, right? Yeah, that's right. Aren't you an MVP
4: member? Yeah.
5: Oh, all right. What's your phone number?
4: It's 555 uh, 4655.
5: You know, you actually have $17 in trading credit here. All we can do is take $5, roll it right onto Final Fantasy, that way you'll have it in your hands the day
3: that it comes out. The trade credit, I didn't see that coming. A great call, that sealed the deal. Where did he come up with that?
4: Great, let's do that.
5: Alright, and since you like Final Fantasy, we actually just got a copy of Kingdom Hearts traded in. You'll definitely be into this game if you like Final Fantasy.
4: This looks pretty cool, I'll use this for the rest of my credit.
6: Alright. Dog, that trade credit move was the bomb.
5: Zelda, actually, it was really no big deal. I knew that she wanted that game in her hands the day that it came out. By pre-ordering, we actually guaranteed that. That trade credit move was just a little nudge she needed to commit.
6: Well, you heard it here, fellas. Ryan is slinging the bling-bling to get that paper. That's all from here, Casey. This has been Zelda Scott, representing for Game Crazy. Keep it real, Casey.
0: Sitting for the mid city. This is M Oh my God! Anyway, welcome back to the show. <laughs> it's just a little bit more, a little bit longer. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed uh, those. So we had uh, we had a couple of uh, game themed. Made a trip to the uh, game section a video street video store. There are no video games at the video street video store. Just a lot of uh, videos about video games. <laughs> we had a, a look at burn cycle, hot title for 1995. Right. And then uh, we had a look at the uh, great game. Crazy training video from 2003. I just, I, you know, I don't know. There's something about it training videos from the 90s and the early 2000s i guess that's because i that's when i joined the workforce before i embarked on this whole mad universe of jobs and careers and health insurance and you know that's that's what you would do you would uh go in on your very first day and you would go back to the back room and you would uh do all of your paperwork and then watch a ton of training videos about what to do and what not to do, how to push things, you know, what certain promotions were going on, how to talk to and interrogate customers. And uh, then they would release you onto the sales floor and you would go under the wing of a bitter cynical assistant manager who then told you to completely forget everything that you had just watched in the video, right? (laughs) Uh, That's the way it went. Uh, Memories. Memories. (laughs) Memories. I do find it interesting, there is this um, trend going on right now in advertisements for digital spaces that will sort of envision what it's like to be a customer in a marketplace selling a digital item, if that makes any sense. I think Progressive Insurance started this, where they would have people go in to, like, this all-white, you know, marketplace and buy health insurance from uh, from from Flow, right? Th- that's how the whole Flow campaign got started because people buy health insurance online now, and they can't really understand the idea of, like, going in and, like, finding, you know, something that's good for one thing and then another thing that's good for another. But, you know, when you see a much bigger box it's all bundled together, so it makes sense that you're getting more for less. If that makes any sense, you know, people have a hard time visualizing that. So, so these commercials, um, I, I, I see. I saw this recently also. You know, like for um, like a the car vending machines, Carvana, or these online car dealerships, right? Uh, the commercials are all about putting you in a physical place where you can actually look at the cars and talk to a sales agent trying to make you more comfortable with the idea of a completely online shopping experience for, uh, for big products, you know, not just like small things that you buy on Amazon, but big products like cars and and even houses, right? I think there, there's, there's a lot, there, there's a lot of love lost, uh, for, uh, These old days, you know, and it's getting more every day where we just wish that we could have this time where, you know, everything that you could buy, you wish that you could just, uh, you know, you would go and you would put on shoes and clothes and and get in a car and drive someplace to a marketplace and just talk to people about things that you wanted to buy and get their expert opinions. Um, But it's not like that anymore. Um, Everything is automated. Everything is on a digital space. Um, you know, you have to have a password, you have to like hand over all your personal information, uh, just to go shopping, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? So it was funny today when I went to the farmer's market down the street from my house with my wife, after having just spent the whole week on Blue Cross Blue Shield shopping in the health insurance marketplace and having adventures there. And we saw a pop-up tent for 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 uh, Blue Cross. There was actually a pop-up tent, a place, a physical space where you could go that represented your insurance company. <laughs> and I went over there, and I was like, I wonder if I could just buy health insurance from these people. Do they just have, like, boxes uh, of health insurance? I open it up, and I pull it out, and there's the insurance, right? No, they didn't have that. They just had, like pins and pads with blue cross blue shield letterhead on it that was all they had they didn't you know so they were just promoting it that you could uh you know you would go up to them and oh we have a pen, and go online to blue cross blue shield to find the health insurance plan that's right for you right? right anyway thank you so much for stopping by tonight on the midnight citizen show i have been your host mike booty and uh this is the beginning of a new series of shows that i'll do i kind of stop doing them every single week but um you know i'll do several in a row and then i'll take some time off and all that so so i'll continue to do shows over the next few weeks and i really hope you join me for all of them Uh, once again check me out at mikebootycom slash the midnight citizen you can see also see this show live if you're not if you're listening to it. You can see me do the show live and you know struggle with producing and hosting at the same time. If you're curious about that kind of thing, at YouTube.com/slash/mikebooty, you can actually watch the videos at the Video Street Video Store rather than just listening to them. Or if you're curious about that, you can um, check out the show notes. At mikebooty.com/slash the Midnight Citizen or the Overnight Scape underground on SUG, O-N-S-U-G.com. And you can go there and see everything I talked about, links to the music that I played, the videos that I played. You can see all that there. Okay. Yeah. Be a good time. Thank you once again. Keep your eyes open.